The Energy Transition Podcast takes you directly to the cutting edge of the global energy sector's shift, with a specific focus on the critical role played by oil and gas, as well as the pathways developing around a lower carbon future. Your hosts, Leslie Beyer, Energy Workforce and Technology Council CEO, and Dan Pickering, founder of Pickering Energy Partners, are joined by Josh Lowry, president of Upright Digital. Each episode engages industry thought leaders in an exploration of market-moving trends and topics, including new technologies, ESG, capital markets, inclusion and diversity, workforce innovation, regulatory influences, and the voice of the people. Join us as the Energy Transition Podcast looks at the state of the traditional energy and oil field service sectors, emerging technologies, and the path ahead in a world of lower carbon energy development. Welcome to the Energy in Transition Podcast. My name is Josh Lowry. I'm coming to you live from the Upright Digital Studios in Houston, Texas. I am joined, as usual, for the co-host extraordinaire, Mr. Dan Pickering. How are you, sir? I am... Just living the dream, man. Glad to be here. I'm. It is good to see you. We've been. We are coming back from kind of summer break. Yes. I don't think we've done one since summer, have we? This is our first one back. We haven't, and so it's been. It's been a couple of months. Yeah. It was a good break. It was a great break. Yes. I'm sure our listeners are screaming for more content, and so here we are delivering. Well, we had you on another podcast yeah. announcing some big things over at Pickering Energy. You've, you've had a big summer yourself. Yep. We did a lot of. We did some hiring and kind of getting ready for a rollout in a couple different areas, new investment banking practice. And so we're, we're busy. We're getting ready to do our big teams fest conference, which by the time this airs will have occurred. Yes. But, um, 350 or 400 folks in Austin. So it's, uh, when you come back from Labor Day, the world roars. And so we are roaring ahead. It's, I mean, it's staggering to think we're taping September 18th here. Okay. I mean, how, how could it's it be into September already? Crazy. Well, it is. It is good to see you. Like I said, I've seen you a couple times, but I'm glad you had a good summer. You look great, and uh, it's just nice to be back doing these again. We're gonna have a. The show's doing very well, as you know. I like to brag to you on emails how well it's doing, but it's just doing great. Uh, so this is gonna be a fun show we're doing today. Um, I I know you're gonna do the formal introduction, but I have actually known our guest for about a decade, and I knew him. Um, in my, and by the way, the last time guest, we can't talk about you yet, but the last time I bragged about how I knew um, the guest for a long time, I totally botched the company name. And, <laughs> and I was like, I know these guys so well, and here's their company. And Dan goes, uh, Josh, I don't think that's the name of their company. Yes. And, and I messed it up. So we'll get your company name right. But um, our guest is a friend. He's He's been in the industry a long time. He's really done some transformative things in the oil and gas industry and he's moved on and we'll talk about his bio here in a minute but really excited to have alex robart on the show today how are you sir i'm wonderful pleasure to be here for the first of the the new season kicking off the yeah. fall season yeah, here Very exactly exciting. and it's sort of this is where we're setting breaking new ground here because this is the first time we've had a repeat company on the podcast so yes feel very privileged um, yeah your your partner sean was on talking about amperon pretty early mm-hmm. in the energy and transition series and and you're back with some new stuff to talk about and so that's really exciting i do have to mention josh we just discovered that after that visit with sean he was nice enough to send some amperon socks yes. which completely uncorrelated i just happened to be wearing them today yep. so it's i'm not kissing up to Alex, I just happened to be wearing them. So I saw you wearing those and I thought, Dan doesn't miss anything. Yes. <laughs> like he went through his sock drawer and got the logoed Ambron socks. Yeah. My podcast game is at a thousand percent had I done that intentionally, but an audience um, follow us on our YouTube channels to to look at that. That's just how smooth we are. We just segment right into very that. impressive. Yes. Exactly. Well, we are we are lucky to have Alex with us. And Alex, you're the chief revenue officer we'll get to what that means in in a little bit but um, what we always like to do is before we launch into the what and the how and what are you doing at your company it's who are you where'd you grow up what's your background kind of lead us down the path to where where you are today so welcome alex and for those that want to follow along as we're talking 
Um, your website, www.amperon.co, not com, but .co. Correct, just Amperon.co. Co. Just to make Great. it confusing. Yes. Well, thanks for starting us off on a confusing note, but Alex, tell us about yourself. Sure. Um, so I lived here in Houston for over a dozen years. Josh and I met at a, a frack show mm-hmm. up in Dallas uh, just by chance and became friends and uh, sort of collaborators, if you will, yep. in the in the space. Um, back then I had a company called PacWest Consulting Partners. We were the leading company in, in frack data market research. Uh, we, were, we were deep in completion. So sold that business to IHS um, and then another business sold to Genscape. Uh, ended up at Microsoft. Um, for a couple of years before joining Ampron, but uh, just a quick background. I grew up in D.C. originally, uh, Maryland suburbs. Um, my, my father was an energy lobbyist on the power and utility side. Oh. Worked at Edison Electric for 15 years, I think. Okay. Um, he ended up finishing his career at uh, Siemens as their government affairs guy for energy. Um, but I, I totally stumbled into energy uh, with uh, a very circuitous path. That's the word. Charcuterie. There you go. Charcuterie, exactly. Um and uh, and so yeah, so um, a few twists and turns. Ended up in oil and gas here in Houston. Are you a, are you an engineer by I'm a, degree? I or? like to describe myself as a fake engineer. Okay, uh, I was an industrial a spin on industrial engineering uh, operations research. It was yep. called systems engineering at the University mm-hmm. of Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I never intended to be a practicing engineer, and I uh, I would never actually dare to practice engineering. My wife is. Uh, I always joke. My wife is the engineer of the family. She is an unbelievably talented engineer. Um, and I, I just did that to go take that to commercial consulting analytics type stuff, which ended up being a great course of study for me, given what I ended up doing, you know, now with, you know, I've now been involved in multiple, you know, tech and AI companies where, you know, data analytics, which is very core to my course of study from UVA is actually like, you know, really the foundation of what all these companies are doing now. Uh So it ended up all working out nicely. But you know, I wouldn't trust myself to be the data scientist doing a lot of this work. Let me, let me brag on you for one second, and then we can go on, and you can just start talking over my head pretty quickly. Because um, I do remember when we first met, <clears throat> you were uh, the frack guy. You were writing the frack reports, and your explanation to me ten year plus years ago was, you know, I moved down here, and I I said, well, why would we do this? And I read, you said, I read one of these reports of who we might be competing against. And this was at the time when everybody was reading this one particular report on frac and the frac markets. And you know, if you didn't know what you were reading, you thought this was the best report you could get. And he said, "This is this is nothing. This is this report. We can redo this in in a week." And he said to his brother and his partner, "Yeah, let's let's start a company and compete with these guys." And they did. And their reports ended up becoming just they were for years the most in depth just they were going to levels and reporting and analytics that no one else was getting to and and honestly they took the frack world by storm quite you know that's the way i remember it and ultimately ihs came in and got you guys and it was a great time and great moment for you but that's the level of sophistication that alex brought to the frack world what year are we talking maybe 2012 the run was 2010 to 2014. yeah okay so and and the reason i really wanted the audience to hear that is this is this is a person that brings that type of sophistication to product. So we're going to be, I, I really think the audience needs to start paying attention to this interview because I, I've done some homework on this. This is a, there's going to be some things you hear today that are going to be deep and are going to require some extra homework. This is like a Christopher Nolan movie. You might have to listen to it twice. You know, the challenge is how to like, how to boil it down. Yeah. Yes. It's the real test. A really digestible. Yes. That's the real test, Alex. Yes. So I have confidence you're going to pass. Um, Good luck. Yes. Good luck. Challenge accepted. Yes. Um, the gauntlet's been thrown. So, Amperon, remind us, tell us what Sean told us a year ago, and then you've got a new thing you're working on, and which sounds really intriguing, and so I want to spend most of our time on that. But yeah, remind us what Amperon does. So when, when Sean came on a year ago, whenever it was. A year and a half, probably. A year and a half. Um, we were you know, very much a pure play load forecasting company. Electric so, load. Right, electricity demand forecasting and you know at that time doing great work landing great customers but since then we've we've tripled the team and we're about to double it again um and my math says that's like 20 times yeah yeah it's 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 a lot it's been it's been massive growth um we're 60 today 
and we'll add another 40 by year end probably. Wow. Okay. Um, growth. So you're growing really massive growth on the on the the back of the last year has been just amazing growth from a revenue customer perspective. But so we're sort of executing the transition um, and we are growing from this pure play load forecasting company and we're uh -huh. still doing load forecasting as the anchor of what we do. Uh -huh. But what that allows us to do is really land with customers, giving them this great application to understand uh, the load of, of their own load as well as our customers and their, that they serve with their meters. Um, but now we're, we're building more stuff around that. So we're adding renewables, Forecasting, supply forecasting, writing price forecasting, and writing the stuff around carbon, which we'll talk more about here. That's where things get pretty complex. Um, and so it's just been a really great run where we've invested a lot with the best data science team out in the industry to solve these problems. These are, uh, we've got what, eight really high powered PhD data scientists. Now we're adding another three to four over the coming months here. And we've just got the best team in the, in the, in the industry solving these problems. We've been working on these problems for a long time. And you know we combine that with some really unique things we do around weather. So short-term load forecasting, half of the battle is getting really accurate weather. And so we work with multiple vendors. We're always testing them and analyzing who's doing best, when they're doing best. You know, should we change out one load uh, one weather vendor for another vendor? So that's all the good work that's been happening for a while. We've just continued to grow the team and take it to the next level as we built you know a really good install base of customers. So you've got a platform company with the base product being this load forecasting business and you're adding things to it yep and so we spent a lot of prep time talking about the carbon forecasting mm -hmm. because it was it sounds very kind of cutting edge to me but also something that seems like it is whether required by the regulators or required by folks who are really trying to get to an accurate net zero assessment and, and use carbon offsets etc so um, maybe step us through this kind of new thing. Yeah. And um, as, as Josh said, you know, we'll, we'll buckle up for some meaty topics, but yeah. tell us a little bit about what you're, what you're trying to accomplish. Sure. So we realized that we built this amazing infrastructure to ingest all this data from customers' meters and from grids. And <clears throat> we've been using that data. We've been, we've been integrating it into our data lake marrying up with our data sets, and then running this high-powered load forecasting application on top. Now we realize there's other ways we can capitalize on this infrastructure that we've built. And so- Infrastructure, data infrastructure. Data infrastructure, yeah. let's be clear, yeah, that's good. Um, and rather than just being this amazing you know, energy forecasting, uh, energy transition forecasting company, if you will, now we're starting to leverage that infrastructure to get that volumetric electricity data and to start to marry it up with other things. So, so carbon is sort of the, the application right in front of us that we're working on with a number of customers, where it's not just about the forecast, it's also about just leveraging this great data infrastructure we've built to start to add new value by connecting other data streams. And carbon is a really important topic. I think it also starts to cut to the core of sort of the, in, the collision or intersection, if, if you will, of some of the molecules guys with electrons guys. And so we're squarely this electrons focused company from a data electrons meaning power power correct uh, from molecules a, from a meaning, data yeah yeah molecules, molecules meaning, meaning the the stuff used to create it right okay and as everyone started to decarbonize their operations trying to decarbonize their scope one and scope two not all the companies out there but most of the major molecules companies if you will have made some flavor of a net zero or some sort of decarbonization commitment and a big part of that is electrifying operations and shifting more of their footprint from scope one to scope two. And understanding what is the footprint of those electrons they're increasingly bringing into their environment is a big, big part about how all of us across, you know, not just the US economy, the global economy, are going to start to decarbonize things. And so there's a, there's a great quote from the, the Bill Gates book. Um, uh, I'll, I'll probably butcher it here, but you know, decarbonizing grid is the foundation to decarbonizing everything else. And so I think we fit really nicely into that because you really need a high quality and accurate data infrastructure to measure the carbon footprint around all these electrons if we're all going to actually get the impact that we're paying for from electrifying our operations. Uh -huh. So folks are electrifying their operations and then you want to know what that actually means in terms of what molecules are creating those electrons. So instead of running a diesel generator, you electrify it, 
but now you're pulling off the grid and are you pulling solar power? Are you pulling wind power? Are you pulling coal? Coal, exactly. And so you guys are telling them what around that? We're allowing people to look at, you know, really high resolution snapshots in time. So let's call it most that we do is on the hourly basis. So we'll talk hourly basis and they can look at their actual volumetric electron consumption for that hour snapshot in time. We can look at what meter are you on? Where's that meter located? And marry that up with this other data set we've brought in around what is the five minute resolution uh, of carbon intensity on the grid for that zone of the grid at that moment in time. And now tell you, we can aggregate up hourly snapshot after hourly snapshot to get to the daily, to the weekly, to the monthly, or the annual view. So you can really understand rigorously what is my actual carbon footprint associated with these electrons that I consumed across these sets of meters and locations around the country. Mm-hmm. And when you say meters, so like in, from a real world example, if you're a, a, a national grocery store chain and you know, you know where your stores are and you know how much power they consumed, you meaning them the customer and then you their their data provider you can say okay because i'm adding them up location by location five minute interval by five minute interval i can tell you that you used x percent renewables you used y percent hydrocarbons and you have you generated this much carbon uh, from your operations and now you've got to do something to offset that if you want to be net zero that's exactly right you either are going to going to buy some RECs, renewable, renewable energy rec, certificates, yeah. okay. or you'll buy carbon offsets. Okay. Um, and depending on you know what your appetite and your commitments you've made yep. as a company with respect to net zero, um, or you'll buy you know you're gonna you're gonna bring PPAs and renewable PPAs. These are power purchasing agreements. Yeah. Um, so that you're consuming you know that volume of your electricity consumption is coming from that that green renewable yep. um, uh, purchasing agreement, uh-huh. but it also leaves big gaps of time that aren't covered by that. And so getting an accurate read on how all these things come together, what are your, the volumes you're consuming that would be allocated to your PPA? What are the volumes in the associated carbon attributes of the times that aren't? And how do you put that all together and decide, do I fill those gaps with more RECs or other carbon credits? Mm-hmm. Or am I okay with where my footprint is today? How's, how's that done today? So, so maybe help us understand, to me it seems like You've got you've got a mouse trap that basically says I can push a button and get an answer that that you have confidence is quite accurate. Mm-hmm. So that implies that what people are doing today is less accurate. So what are they doing today? And yeah. kind, of, kind of walk us through what they do today so we can see the difference. You know, it's, it's so amazing when you look at the status quo for how people are are calculating this. That methodology is has been the norm out there for a while now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know. It wasn't a better methodology until more recently when some of these additional data vendors started building out really robust and, and granular carbon calcs uh-huh. um, about what is running on the grid at any given time. And but when now we look in hindsight at the current methodology, it's like it's almost laughably yeah, caveman so, type stuff. Like one good data point, Microsoft, you know, my former employer for a couple of years, um, they put out a white paper probably four or five months ago now. They highlighted their four top pain points around their enterprise carbon accounting process. And number one on the list was the latency and granularity of their scope two electricity data. Because Microsoft and all the big hyperscalers, big data center players, are massive, massive electricity consumers and are also driving the biggest load growth out there in the market. And so the methodology that they are complaining about in this white paper was the fact that they've got to roll up their monthly um, electricity data from their utilities, their reps and whatever markets, put them all together, and then look at the EPA e-grid emissions factors, which are annual mm. average emissions factors, which are two to four years dated in terms of the data sources they're using to calculate that emissions factor. And they're multiplying those data points together to arrive at an annual uh, average emissions across the electricity consumption. It doesn't reflect time of use. No. It doesn't reflect renewable penetration on the grid, but people are making some very you know, big expensive decisions. Yeah. on Rex purchases, PPA purchases, a whole bunch of other decisions are being made based on this rather inaccurate data point. Yeah. So they're taking lagged data at a an annual level when we know the world operates on a much 
faster, more segmented time basis. You know, Josh, I mean, this, the discussion, it's, I mean, we've seen it, whether it's fracking or, you know, you watch things in the oil patch. And today, if you think about what a, a 50 stage frack on a Permian well looks like compared to at the beginning of the shale boom where we thought we were crushing it and, and how how quickly things get smart fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what you're talking about. You're, you're basically saying because there was more information and now you've had to scrape it all and put it all together and marry it in a bunch of different ways, but you can answer the question much more effectively. Um, and so, I mean, I guess well, that's... Well, you know, you had a question a second ago. You said... You asked about the data, and I'm and I'm wondering. My first thought to that question was, how many people are really trying to get, were trying to get, good data, mm-hmm. and if Microsoft is dealing with, you know, four year old data, for instance, then how can anybody else make good decisions? Because I'm sure they want the best, most accurate data possible, and if the best they can get on, I mean, I'm sure on some levels they're more accurate than this, but if if you guys aren't, or I say you guys. If they're still trying to get, you know, caught up on some of that, you know, late lagged laggard data, then how can anybody else? Is there not anybody else out there trying to get more accurate, more timely data? And I was reading, you know, obviously the reports that we've we've looked at here, you know, matching hourly data with annual basis. Is is anybody else trying to do this? Yeah, uh, it's a great question, and I would say that it's it's the leading edge players. Um, which is leading edge players, customers or leading edge players, leading edge your competitors who are, yeah. who are pulling all the major, you know, clean energy suppliers to get better, get more granular. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's the Microsoft's, Amazon's, Google's, you know, Salesforce's of the world. Yeah. All of the big renewables generation players, they're all looking to sell, you know, large PPAs to those players. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because they're the ones who are moving the, the, the most quickly to decarbonize their scope too. Right. Um, and Alex, to pay that premium. Yeah, does, I mean, this is kind of fascinating. I would assume that this granularity translates to, were people overestimating their carbon footprint or underestimating it by using these annual factors and lagging data? It, it's probably a mix. Okay. Um, I think there's definitely going to be some folks who are overestimating. Um, really? We've got work. That surprises me. Too. We've got under work underway to to prove it in a handful of customer cases, um, to look at you know the status quo methodology versus a more accurate methodology. Um, but it's I, I think there'll be some variance across the board. Mm-hmm. And and again, it it sort of blows my mind because all this is voluntary at this point, mm-hmm. right? Everybody's undertaking these these calculations because. They think it's the right thing to do. Um, I, I think there's some legislation coming, whether it's SEC to report. Um, I think we've seen some California uh, movement just literally in the last few weeks that they want to hold kind of the carbon accounting to a higher standard. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a few different things underway. Yeah, talk about there's it. There's the SEC um, regulation, which is still you know uh, behind scenes. They're they're going to finalize that soon. Mm-hmm. And soon, it, like every month for the last yeah, exactly. year. But then also on top of that, you have um, within the IRA, um, 45V, which is the hydrogen incentive, tax incentive program, um, is going to require hourly matching. The question and, and is wait before you, before you go on, hourly matching. So sure. let's we'll keep pounding it in because it's hourly matching is what grid supply was running at the time for, for that hour. So what's your percent coal, percent renewables, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so to capture for green hydrogen, I guess, is that? Green hydrogen is exactly where this requirement is gonna really come into play most. Okay, so to um, get that 45V. So you get, if you want your 45V, you wanna qualify for that really attractive incentive program, billions of dollars in, in some cases, you are going to be required at some point in time, it won't be immediately, you'll be required at some point in time uh, by 2030 at the latest to match the energy, the elect- electricity you're consuming. You've got to 
have matched zero carbon energy purchases uh -huh. to match your actual energy consumption. You've got to match generation and demand uh -huh. with zero carbon energy if you are going to qualify for that incentive. Okay. And, and does that, Alex, does that, in some instances today, folks, folks may say, okay, great, I, I generated this much carbon because we had coal-fired power and I'm going to go out and buy offsets. Mm -hmm. Will the IRA 45V let them do that? Or does it actually have to be renewable power? It, it's unclear. The okay. rules are going to be released soon again. This has okay. been delayed month yep. to month. Um, but the consensus from all the people who are in the know is that it is going to require hourly matching. But exactly what qualifies within the hourly matching and under what time frame, we're all just going to have to wait until it gets published. But I don't think what you just described will qualify. Okay. And, and maybe a dumb question. We're rabbit trailing here, so, yeah. so or rabbit holing. I don't know. I just. Rabbit holing, I think. Yes. Rabbit trailing. Um, We're deep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, my, my electrons are firing. Um, does that mean that you then have to go out and buy from a market that you know at that point in time is generating renewable, you know, wind power? You've got to go find that and purchase that. That, that power. Yeah, there's there's providers out there who are um, trying to construct portfolios, bringing together different zero carbon energy sources, a mix of intermittent renewables and baseload generation like hydro, uh -huh. pumped hydro storage, and all these other innovations and batteries and all these other innovations we know are out there like geothermal. Folks are trying to do the heavy lifting for those customers to say, hey, we've constructed this 24 seven portfolio for you it's gonna cost you a little bit extra because uh -huh. we're doing all this work on our end and having to, to merge together all these different types of supply with different load, with different generation profiles to get you a 24-7 product so you can easily qualify. Uh -huh. So that's sort of the new wave. And I, I've got a number of customers I'm talking to on the generation side of things who are hard at work trying to assemble those portfolios and then you know get them landed with some customers. Uh -huh. And you guys are only in the information side of this business though. Correct. So you're not, you're we're, not. We're data, we're software. You know, our, our investors have invested in a software company. We're not going to go, you know, be commodity traders. Um, we're, we sell to lots of commodity traders and we're going to sell to more. Um, we want them to have the best information available. But, you know, the, the business that our investors have invested in is fundamentally a software business. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I remember the accuracy that uh, Sean was talking about was industry leading when, mm -hmm. he, was, when he, he was just talking about electricity forecasting. Yep. How does it look in the new markets you guys are in? We pride ourselves on accuracy being really what we hang our hats on um, as, our, as our big point of differentiation with our customers. That's how we've been so successful in winning you know, customer after customer, oftentimes from some of the incumbent players out there. Um, and so everything we do, we really want to make sure we can be the most accurate player out there. We don't really want to launch a product that's a you know has a forecasting dimension to it, unless we know we can be the most accurate. Um, and so, like the new renewables forecasting we're doing, you know, we believe we are the most accurate. The price forecast we're launching in a couple months, we've got the most accurate demand forecast. We've got what we believe to be the most accurate renewables forecast, which is what swings the price in most markets in most days. So you put those two together, we feel pretty comfortable. We are going to be the most accurate price forecast as well. So that's a, a big part of what we do. And that's what, you know, the really expensive and experienced PhD data scientists that we have on staff are focusing on day in, day out. That's a, I mean, price forecasting is the ballsy piece of that for sure. It is. Right? I mean, supply, demand, those things, price should fall out of that. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. So, and we and we have really no misconceptions that we will be right all the time with the price forecast because there's so many different factors that you can't actually quantify in a model. Uh -huh. I give Sean a lot of credit on LinkedIn though. He's he's po he's posting quite a few times where he's like, "Look what we did today." Yeah. Yeah. So there's there's yeah. often times where he M most times of day, most places on the grid, we are the most accurate forecast. Right. Mm -hmm. You you mentioned the two letters earlier we have to i mean we wouldn't be worth our salt if we didn't ask you said ai mm -hmm. what's what's the ai component to this or yeah it's, it's really the core of what we do okay um we had sort of this late mover advantage 
we came to the space uh, just about six years ago. Sean, um, you know, CEO and co-founder Sean and, and Abe, who's CTO, mm -hmm. set up the company. And when they did it, you know, they had the benefit of all these great you know, new data technologies, including AI technologies, being available to work with. And so they built this new, you know, mousetrap, for lack of a better word, on the back of all this new tech. When all the incumbent players out there, you know, 10, 15 years old players, they didn't have the, the advantage of being able to build a new tech stack with all that latest, greatest tech. Uh -huh. um, and so we really are benefiting tremendously from that, on top of hiring amazing people. Yeah. Um, and so everything we do has ML or some form of AI. Uh, ML, involved. machine learning. Machine learning, thank you. Um, and so we are, that's, at the, that's really the essence of what we do, um, is how do we leverage all these technologies, ML, you know, all the, all the AI, just deep learning we're doing in, in a, a few different places now. How do we keep on leveraging the latest, greatest um, AI tech that's rolling out, including some Gen AI stuff, generative AI, um, to keep on moving the company forward and making sure that our accuracy continues to be the best out there. So you said you're capturing customers. Um, what kind of customers are they? All, are they all these trading companies? You, you mentioned, yeah. you know, the Microsofts of the world that are trying to do carbon tracking. So, what's give us some, some examples of the <coughs> folks who who do use what you're doing? Yeah. So we sell across pretty much every segment across the private utilities value chain, as well as some of the sort of the leading edge from a from a a large energy buyer, and oftentimes carbon and sustainability focused uh, uh -huh. buyer and they often those often overlap um, so from a power utilities value chain um, we've got sort of two flavors of what we do we've got a, a grid scale version of the product in the forecast and then a meter scale version of the products in the forecast um, there's lots of overlap between those customers but on the grid scale side of things it's mostly trader personas who are using that product to participate in wholesale electricity markets because um, that load forecast is a really fundamental part of how they decide whether or not to trade. Mm -hmm. um, it's not the end-all be-all, but it's, it's one of the most critical data inputs to what they do and how they make those decisions. And so we work with um, you know, traders who are at uh, you know, financials, hedge funds, big banks, uh, all the traders who are risk managing at large renewables generators, um, as well as really any IPP independent power producer who's out there with uh, with natural gas or renewables or whatever else it might be in that portfolio, participating in the market with merchant uh, assets in the market, um, as well as utilities who are market makers, um, who not only have generation that they sell through their vertical integrated operation, but also export that power outside their territory. Those folks also need a forecast to participate in the market. So that's where that grid scale product goes to. And then on the meter scale product, that's retailers in the market who- Re Retailers, not- Macy's yeah. selling clothes retailers. Electricity retailers yeah. um, in, in the consumer choices markets out there, which is roughly half of the U.S. population. Um, and then you know, they have a very existential need for accurate purchasing from wholesale markets because they don't have any generation themselves, most of them. Um, and so they've got to procure very large volumes, and it's very existential for them. If they miss, it can take them out. Um, we've definitely had some bankruptcies amongst some of our of our retailer customers, particularly with Winter Storm Uri took out a number right. of customers. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the same utilities, um, you know, particularly the public power uh, distribution players, munis and co-ops, in CCAs have been you know really um, important customers for us the last year or so. We've just made a massive amount of headway, um, winning customer after customer across the U.S. Um, in that distribution side of the grid. And then, you know, the big IOUs, the investor-owned utilities, they're relatively new for us. Um, you know, I think one of the, the smartest decisions Sean made when he set up the company and decided where do we focus this thing early on was to avoid those big IOUs. Because you've probably heard this before, but the sales cycle of an IOU is very slow. And it doesn't often match the cash burn cycle of a startup. And so those two often result in calamity and bankrupt yeah. startups. Mm. And so Sean was very savvy in focusing on, hey, who are some of the smaller, yeah. quicker adopting customers? We could fast, yeah. get data, build a product that delivered value and convert that to revenue and prove out a repeatable engine there yeah. and then start to go to some of those big, slow moving IOUs. And he, he actually talked about that on the podcast. He did. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it's, it's really at the core of what we've done to build this repeatable widget, repeatable sales process. And that's why I joined. 
is because you know I joined in January and I saw, hey, we've got this amazing uh, product with this amazing sales cycle that it only takes us two to three months on the grid scale product on average, and it takes us you know four to five months on the meter scale product to engage a customer and then convert a, uh, an engagement to a commercial deal mm -hmm. at pretty good um, annual contract values. And those, the math just made sense to like throw bodies at that, scale that, and then that's what's funding and driving all the growth mm -hmm. here is the fact that that sales cycle is a very repeatable and economically scalable engine. Mm -hmm. So we talked about customers and I heard a lot of, I heard a lot of power related and energy value chain related customers, but this carbon product must be, I mean, that's where you're talking about Amazon and Salesforce and Google and whatnot. And so you're the chief revenue officer. Does that mean you're out now talking to a different group of clients because you now have this carbon product that's a kind of a different animal? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot of the same. So all of our power and utilities customers, not all of them, but the, the more, let's say, leading edge from a carbon perspective. And when I say leading edge, let's, let's contextualize that better. Those in the power and utilities side who are leaning in the most on carbon, they're doing it for a variety of reasons. One, many of them have net zero commitments. Mm -hmm. um, two, many of them want to do the right thing and be a part of the solution. Um, and then three, I think, I think where, it where it works is when it all comes together um, with this third one, which is they also recognize the commercial opportunity that leading edge customers it represent where the market is going, not just exceptions out there. Uh -huh. So they're investing heavily to, to be able to support those leading edge customers, which is often big tech, yep. as well as some other players who made big net zero commits. Um, and they smell a commercial opportunity. Mm -hmm. In my view, in this whole energy transition is if we can't figure out ways that every step in the value chain, people can figure out how to you know, drive a commercial opportunity uh, out of tracking your carbon footprint, you know, justifying that green premium that the, the, the decarbonized offering often represents, at least today. If we can't figure out how to like monetize that premium every step of the way, this one energy transition is not gonna work. Right. And so we, I think our most engaged customers on the power and utilities side represent or recognize that, that there's an opportunity there to do all three of those things at once while making money yeah. from this. And I just think that's, that's how it's going to work if we're all going to scale this thing and be successful. Yeah. I guess ultimately if the buyers want that information, then they push that to the providers and they say, you tell me how you're delivering this power mm -hmm. um, instead of us having to go calculate it. And, and a good example of that, like in real time is, oh, just three, maybe four months ago, uh, PJM, which is one of the largest um, ISOs, independent system operator, um, you know, electricity grid operator, um, Big regional electricity grid. Correct, operator, yeah. correct. Uh, so it's Pennsylvania, Jersey, Maryland, a couple other you know things uh -huh. in the mix there. Um, from a population perspective, very large. Um, m so many of the data centers have been going into Virginia. That's a big center of data center build out um, with all the electricity consumption from those data centers and the carbon expectations and commitments that those big tech players have made. It's that's become sort of ground zero for a lot of this carbon innovation. So PGM is the first market that has released an hourly generation data stream. So you can then calculate the hourly carbon uh -huh. and then can supply the data required for an hourly RECS, renewable energy certificate mark, uh, market. And so that's all because the big customers have been pulling on PGM, who is now making, forcing all the generators to make that data available into the market to create this hourly market. Because that's where the world's going. Mm -hmm. And SPP and MISO are following, not quite as quickly, um, with a bit more constraints in how their data is used in the near term. But the rest of the market's going to going to go yeah. this direction here pretty quickly. Yeah. So five years from now, everybody's going to know the carbon intensity of their electric consumption. That is my view. And the other driver here and catalyst for folks to, to want and need this higher resolution data is... Um, GHG Protocol is the nonprofit body that defines all of the GHG carbon accounting calculation methodologies. Greenhouse gas GHG. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and they have a working group underway um, to define a higher granularity scope two calculation methodology 
that new methodology, once it's settled, will go live in early 2025. And so every company who has a net zero commitment, of which there are thousands of them out there, um, they will all be following that new methodology that goes live in 2025. And so you know, we, we view that as probably the most powerful catalyst oh. for customer adoption. Yeah. Um, and so the leaders out there are moving into stuff on the supply and demand side of things. So we want to serve them. And then as GHG Protocol um, launches that new methodology in early 25, we're there with a product that can solve needs. It's proven out with customers in a variety of use cases. And that's when you know, we think the magic will happen. Yeah. Ultimately, part of that magic is profitability. Yeah. And you know, I, I just got back from the UT K. Bailey Hutchinson. Mm -hmm. um, Energy conference? It, yeah, it was amazing. It was really great. It was last week over at UT. You know, I, I really went over there expecting a lot of people to talk about, I mean, the title of the conference was all of the above. You know, I was expecting to be some oil and gas, but primarily wind, you know, everything else. And it, it was to some extent, but really it was, the, the one guy that kind of blew, blew it all up was this investment banker. And he's like, look, if it's not profitable, it's going to crush everything. Yep. It has to make, it has to be able to make money. So you can like all this stuff you want, but it, if it doesn't make money, it's gonna lose steam. And so mm -hmm. I'm listening to you talk about this and the, the theme is it has to be able to help these companies move forward profitable yeah. or they just won't be there. Yeah. That's why IRA is so important, right? It's going to fund a lot of the early build out for mm -hmm. a lot of these offerings. And you know, let's look at director capture, for instance, like that's billions of dollars per plant that without a real aggressive incentive right. to help that thing get off the ground to start to drive down uh, the costs, it just wasn't going to get there. And so I, I think IRA has such an important role to play in all of this stuff. But I, I think we look at like the carbon offset market, the voluntary carbon market, um, there are real limits to how far you're going to scale what is in effect philanthropy. And I just, I've watched the Microsofts and others out there in the world do amazing, amazing work. So let's give them a massive amount of credit, but also recognize that you can only scale philanthropy so far. I wonder how many companies that made a net zero commitment realized what they were getting, you know, signing themselves up for because the protocols are getting more rigorous, which means the data, you know, now I got to have somebody to calculate it. Now I got to go hire Amperon to tell me all about it. Um, they actually talked about that, and they said that there's a lot of these companies that are kind of paralyzed. Yeah, they yeah. don't really know what to do yet. Yeah, yeah. It's a speaking of net zero. Are you a? Are you? Do you think about net zero as a an admirable goal, an achievable goal? How, what's the Alex Robart view I, on I, net yeah, zero? Yeah, I think I think 2050. It's very achievable. I mean, it takes work. It's not going to. You can't just sit back and magically expected to happen without putting the work in. I, I, uh, someone was just telling me a few weeks ago, uh, one of our customers, I believe, um, that they'd gotten some report back from a consultant who was advising them across their, their net zero planning. And the consultant's recommendation on their scope two was like, just sit back and let the grid decarbonize and magic will happen for you. And they were like, eh, that feels a little bit risky. Yeah. Let's be a little more proactive leading in on this thing. Um, but no, I, I actually- That happens, you know, that usually works out well in life. Yeah. No, I, um, I think one of the things that really colored my views, um, I, mean, I, I take a very like middle of the road practical approach to all things. Um, when I was in the Microsoft seat, uh, the role there was, I, I ran a, a strategy for the energy business, the commercial energy team, under a, a really outstanding leader of that business, Daryl Willis. Um, and we had this really amazing opportunity to do a two hour sort of brainstorming working session with Bill Gates, oh. um, talking about energy decarbonization in our you know emerging energy strategy we were proposing. Um, and if you read Bill's book, he takes a very practical approach. He's investing heavily in uh, energy innovation across the value chain through Breakthrough Energy Ventures and a couple other vehicles he's got. Um, and so that that really, I think, drives me in a, in a, I'm a, I'm an optimist by nature. I think that by 2050, with the amazing amount of innovation uh, and the capex that's flowed into all that innovation in the last five plus years or so, and it's gonna to continue to flow for the next you know, five or 10. There are so many smart people working on these problems. Mm -hmm. There's so much innovation happening. Battery technology, the, if you look at the cost curve, it's unbelievable. It's, gonna, it's only gonna accelerate further. 
all these technologies. You've got geothermal, you've got nuclear, you've got SMRs, you've got so many things. So I think we're going to be in a bit of a tough place in like the 2030, 2035 timeframe. We're going to be running behind where people would like to be. And it's, it's very clear we're going to, we're going to overrun 1.5 degrees Celsius. But I think from a 2050 perspective, all that innovation is going to start getting to commercial scale in the 2030 timeframe. So 2030 to 2040, we're going to see this amazing amount of innovation start to drive change and accelerate the pace at which we can we can drive decarbonization at a lower green premium. So by 2050, I feel pretty excited that we're going to have all the tools and technology that we need to do this thing at not that massive an incremental cost, but the near term, you know, taking some time to get it all off the ground. Can I uh, jump on a team real quick? Do it. I feel like I'm on that team. We've had a lot of people that have come on the show before. That explanation feels very right to me. And it's, you know, I don't know about the 2050 part because it does feel like there's a lot to get to between yeah. now and then. But I do believe the part of, that's the slow moving part of the beginning. You hear, you know, there's still a lot of naysayers out there that don't understand. That's part of the reason for sure. this podcast, right? Is to get people to understand what we're trying to do. And because there's a lot of smart people really in, in oil and gas slash energy that need to kind of get on this boat pretty quickly. But the 20 to 30 time frame, that's a, an important decade of that this 20 to 30 It's 2030 to 24, excuse yeah. me, um, decade that people really need to move the needle quite a bit in that 10 year period. And I think if that, can move because of the decisions being made right now, then I, I kind of agree with what you're talking about post, you know, 40 to 50 range. So it's amazing how quickly that's going to go. It's going to go very, very yeah. fast between 2023 to 2050. But I, I like that explanation if things can go well. Yeah. So and one of the things like in my time at Microsoft, I, I learned so much about all this carbon sustainability stuff and spent time with so many like great high impact people doing great work over there. But the, the role I often found myself in is given I spent time in, in sort of like the large complex, you know, energy world out there is helping educate everyone and some of those teams who tend to come from a bit, bit more of like a academic or, a, mm -hmm. or an activist type bent, um, which isn't always fully grounded in like, what does it mean to put billions of dollars in the ground and in infrastructure? Right. Who's got the skills, capabilities and the balance sheets to do that? My view is always like, look, we, we need incumbent energy to get constructive in this energy transition. And that means giving them profitable pathways to evolve their businesses in ways that are lower carbon impact, but also allow them to make money to return to their shareholders. Because if they can't figure out ways to do that, they're not going to be constructive participants. And if we can't get them to be constructive participants, none of this stuff's gonna work. We can't look at some of these startups to scale $50 billion of infrastructure. You need this, the massive skills and capabilities in both incumbent oil and gas as well as incumbent private utilities land to be able to really, I think, take this stuff to scale. How's the guy go from Microsoft to not Microsoft? I mean, is that Microsoft <laughs> like the pinnacle? So two why, hour strategy meetings with yeah why Bill why Gates. leave yeah exactly you're hanging out with bill gates <laughs> right, and now no. you're hanging out with the, us <laughs> and i, I, I mean, had this, whoa i had this conversation <laughs> what happened several times yeah. <laughs> well i look i i was an entrepreneur for what 15 years almost um and i stepped away from a, a venture back company i was running at the front end of covid and i had gotten to know the microsoft team and i was unbelievably impressed by daryl and the whole team he'd assembled and i was at that time i was looking for something i thought to myself i need a two or three year stint at a big tech company to see what does tech at global scale look like? How do you, you know, conceive of, launch, um, market, sell, support a product at fully global scale end to end. Um, and I happened to get to know that team, really sharp people, one of the highest performing, you know, quote unquote industry teams over there from my, you know, somewhat biased perspective. Um, and one of the few industries where, where Azure is actually ahead of Amazon from a cloud share perspective. So I went in, wanted to work with some great people and get a couple year experience. And I did some, I had a, a great learning experience. I did my two years there and I said, hey, now is a good time to step away. I've got a big promotion, did all the cool things. And now I'm gonna go back and take some of those, those skills and the network I built back to a more agile mm -hmm. startup. I got to know Sean. I talked to lots of 
lots of the cool climate tech companies who'd raised, you know, 50, $100 million. I just got a little concerned that most of them didn't have strong product market fit um, and didn't quite have the revenue trajectory. And, you know, all the, many of those companies today have had to raise new money at much lower valuations and the balance sheets aren't in a great, great place. Their cap tables aren't in a great place now. Um, meanwhile, I started to get to know Sean and the great work um, he was doing it over at Amperon. And I was just so impressed by how tight the product market fit was, not just with one customer segment, but like five customer segments. And I thought to myself, hey, like he's got this amazing product market fit, which is the hardest problem to solve for, but he really needs help scaling that commercial team. Um, and so it just worked out really well. And plus we had a, a good buddy of ours who we had in common introduce us. And you know, we both felt really good about the relationship and the fact that this was gonna work. And so it's just been an awesome run since then. Sean is a hard worker. He is. And that's, you, you can't fake that. No. Well, no. he's a hard worker and he, his superpower is like his charm and ability to kind of convert his network into just like huge advocates and fans and oftentimes customers. He's got me. He's got yeah. this amazing superpower in there. Yeah. yeah. That's a good, good way to put it. Yeah, right. I'm going to have to think about what my superpower is. I don't. You're the smartest guy in the room, Dan. I'll, I'll, I'll solve it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm going to fight you on that. I don't know. Um, Maybe not today. Yeah. Today, we're, we're, today we're, you, you talked about, challenge. you talked about watching um, startups and how they raise capital and et cetera. Talk to us a little bit about Amperon and what you guys are doing there because, yeah. you know, you're, sounds like you're well on your way with product one, product two, um, how do you fund it all? You're yeah. ramping sixty people to a hundred people. Yep, we've um, we've just had the the privilege of closing a round of uh, of funding, uh, a Series B, twenty million dollars, uh, led by Energized Capital. Um, so it's, and, and who is that? Uh, they are a, a really heavily electricity focused investors. One of the smartest electricity focused investors out there. They're HQ'd in Chicago, but they've got people all over the place. Um, They've got a few different vehicles, some venture vehicles, um, some growth equity vehicles. We're, we're recipient of equity funding out of their venture vehicle. Um, and they've, some of their, their LPs, their investors in their fund, are some of the large pound utilities out there. Um, so it's great to have those, that connectivity uh -huh. with you know, investors of theirs who, offer, who are also are great prospects for us to be selling with. And so um, you know, Sean has been getting to know them for, for several years. Uh -huh. um, so they were not an investor before. They were not before. Okay. So they're the they're the new investors who's coming in and leading the round. And like, this is a Series B for you guys. Yep, twenty okay. million dollars Series B, um, and we've got our existing you know investors who led the A, um, who are HSBC, and a, a very large uh, investor on utility with a, who who has a large renewables portfolio. Um, they're also participating. We got a couple others. Uh, who are participating as well. So we, we couldn't be more pleased. You know, we close this process end to end in about three and a half months, yeah, uh, which fast. in this market today uh -huh. is really exceptional. Uh -huh. um, with a really nice step up in valuation, it's a really amazing, amazing win because investors saw the trajectory that we've had the last you know nine to 12 months and it's there's really almost no one out there in our, our side of energy who has a trajectory like that. Uh -huh. Outstanding. That's great. And, you know, Alex, are your, is a ticket for you guys, you know, a customer that comes on and does, to the, that does load forecasting? I mean, just help our audience. Is this a $2,000 thing or a $2 million thing or a $200,000 thing? I mean, what's a typical yeah. investor look like? I mean, <clears throat> on a the, typical customer look like? For yeah, on, the, on the grid scale product, it's a yeah. little bit cheaper. Um, people typically buy market by market. So that's ISO or RTO by by ISO. Yeah. So PJM, ERCOT, um, you know, ERCOT is is our biggest market. It's got such a a, a big market, lots of participants, um, and a very liquid you know traded market uh -huh. uh, with a lot of innovation and great data. Yeah. Um, and so we love that they've got great data um, with low latency. And so um, the the sticker price is anywhere from um, usually in the low end, like 25K uh -huh. uh, per year uh, for just like our, our one base product. Then we've got all these other things we add on top of that. And so, you know, on, on the grid scale, we're doing deals now with folks anywhere in the, you know, 
two or three hundred thousand dollar range for big players who participate in lots of markets yep. and need all the markets and all the features and products are rolling out. Um, and on the meter scale side of things, um, it's which a little is more at the, which is at the product at the location level, right? So, well, in this case, we're feeding you know, individual meters from a CNI location or across you know a distribution grid player like a meter or co-op. Uh, we're looking at either all of their meters across their territory or looking at their aggregate load across their territory and helping them forecast at their transmission delivery time mm -hmm. point. Um, and it's it's one meter technically, but it represents all the load across all those meters across their territory. So we're helping them with that tool to understand what their load will be and therefore what do they need to procure from the wholesale market. Yep. Um, and so that pricing, it varies from uh, you know, at the lowest and very simple deployment in the uh, in the sub hundred range, but can go up for, you know, we've got we've got engagements with much, much larger players. And of course the price can start to go up across some with you know multi state territory. Right. And and when you're talking about meters, that might be fifty thousand or a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand or, or millions. Yeah. Of of individual mm -hmm. homes or meters, et cetera. Okay. Great. And and as you layer on this carbon product, um, is that something that is that perceived by is that harder to do? Is it a is it a, a more expensive product or is it kind of similar? Think of it like an overlay, um, you know, from like a sales nomenclature. It's like a, an upsell yep. product. It's it's all enabled by existing data infrastructure yep. that we've already built. And so we can ingest that data from the customer with whatever, whatever data it might be, grid scale, meter scale. And then we can start to layer on the new calculations and analytics on yep. top of that for an incremental price. Right. You know, Josh, that sounds like that's that's code word for very high margin. Once we once we the data is already there, we punch it. And I like go. it for an incremental price. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly. Right. That's exciting. Um, You've, you've, as an entrepreneur, not, not with Amperon, but as an entrepreneur, you've sold businesses several times now to mm -hmm. bigger data providers. Is that the, is that the game plan for Amperon, or, you know, you just build this thing for the next ten years and turn it into a behemoth? Well, I, I won't speak for Sean, who, you know, him and co-founder Abe, you know, they they make those decisions, um, but. I will say the last year or so with this trajectory we've built, I think Sean and Abe recognize that they've built this really amazing sort of what can be a platform technology. Mm -hmm. um, you know, having really high quality, high accuracy, you know, foundational volumetric data and the ability to connect other data streams in, add new use cases on top of that, just like this carbon thing, um, represents a pretty massive market. Um, when we look at our, our TAM, like for the investor conversations, for the fundraise, um, as we start to think about other new use cases to add, like our, our TAM quickly gets over $10 billion. Um, and so there's a lot that we can do. And so at this point, our goal is to blow it out of the water mm -hmm. for the next two years. Um, and, you know, perhaps go raise some more money yeah. um, with an even bigger vision or perhaps there's a player out there who, for whom the, our fit is perfect for us to build and scale that business more effectively under that larger player. You know, he said his dad was a lobbyist. That was a perfect answer. Yes. <laughs> On the one hand. Yes, I don't want to speak for yes. Sean, but let me give you this. On the other hand. Well, well done. I love it. What, um, what do we need to know about Amperon and what you're doing before we move on to the next part of our podcast? Well, I think... Um, one of, the, one of the more interesting dimensions of the company is you know, we're, hit, we're headquartered here in Houston. It's like what we view as the energy transition capital of the world. I think this, this sort of like intersection, sometimes it feels like a bit of a collision between molecules and electrons. Um, you know, there's an amazing footprint of, uh, of renewables developers in uh -huh. Houston. There's amazing folks like Michael Skelly with Grid United and um, all these innovators on both sides of, of energy these days. Um, so we're headquartered here. We've got about a quarter of our of our customer of our um, employee headcount here, but we also have this like unbelievably distributed team. Like I, I'm now based in Seattle, after living here for over a dozen years in Houston, um, and we've got a pretty distributed commercial team. Uh, but our engineering team is all over the place. We've got people in the U.S., 
Um, most of our data scientists are in Europe and Israel. Um, oh. We've got a whole bunch of other engineers in Europe. We've got folks in South America. Um, so we, and we've got a couple of folks in, um, in the Middle East, in Dubai. Um, so we really had this amazing distributed team and this model's worked so well for us over the last few years here through COVID. We were already distributed before COVID hit. Um, and I think we've really just perfected how do we hire the best talent around the world with the right experiences, the right customer relationships, the right data science experience, for instance, and put them all together with this, you know, really high powered, like let's help drive both grid reliability and accelerate decarbonization and like bring people who have a mix of the skills in that sort of like the mission driven mindset together to really, I think, um, drive some change across this industry. Wow. When you're not doing Amper on what do you do? What's, what does Alex do for fun? Well, I got two young kids. I have a 15 month old and a four year old. Um, so not a lot of time for much <laughs> besides work and Babies. young children. Um, we're, uh, and we're currently opening uh, a spa for my wife. Oh, wow. Um, she's got two partners. Um, your wife, the engineer. My wife, the engineer. Now spa owner. Who decided uh, she really didn't want to go back to the corporate world after having that, that first kid. And she was trying to figure out what to do. Um, and finally decided she loved skincare and uh, went back and got her esthetician's license recently. Oh, wow. And we've got this great spa, which we're standing up in, uh, in the Seattle area. Nice. Uh, we're going to do the soft launch in, what, 10 days? And then the, the proper launch, I think November 1 is the day. Alex is going to come back in another year and his skin will be glowing. <laughs> He'll be like the best looking podcast guest they, we've ever they, had. They need that well, you guys come on down. It's called yeah. Skin and Sage. There uh, <laughs> we go. We'll, we'll, in, get you, in uh, Seattle. we'll get you some facials and maybe a massage. Awesome. Okay. Should you got anything else, Josh? Should we? No, I just wanted to make sure, you know, that we, this is, these are such complex products and topics yeah. that, you know, it's, it's energy, right? It's complex. It is. It is. But specifically, this is, you know, these are tougher. And I really, I just wanted to make sure that the audience gets, uh, as we talked off air, um, how does this impact their life? And I wanted to make sure yeah. that, you, that, that you feel that this is, that the messages come through to the audience. And I, and I feel like it has. I mean, this is real-time data. It's the best data out there that's available. You guys are, you're expanding upon product that exists. Is there anything that we're missing that we, that we can help you make sure that this message is just right to the point? Is there anything, anything else we can help you with here? No, I, I think, um, you know, we, I could keep talking about this stuff and get really in the weeds for three hours. No, but I, or but, more. but that'll confuse them. You know, uh, exactly. So yeah. I, I think in the interest of brevity, I think we've done a great job of taking on some very complex topics yeah in a way that I think is digestible. I think the, the last thing just to, to leave it with is um, for you know, a lot of the molecules guys out there, yes. um, helping them appreciate, they've got many of them, most of them have very high powered um, you know, wholesale you know, commodities teams who are amazing at, uh, at buying wholesale, crude, refined products, whatever it might be, um, and know how to arbitrage that market and optimize it for their particular needs and their particular business. We are, we've started to serve a number of, uh, of customers who have stood up their own wholesale electricity teams very recently. Um, and we're a great tool to help those teams. But I guess I, I'll, I'll leave it with, there's folks who are exploring you know, hydrogen, adding behind the meter assets um, for a particularly rooftop solar or other um, battery assets out there, um, as well as looking at things like director capture and carbon capture. Um, all of these things, and then, and then EV charging infrastructure is the other really big one out there, right? I just heard a quote the other day, um, the average fueling station, adding a couple of uh, EV chargers is going to 5X their electricity consumption. Mm. It immediately becomes their top OPEX monthly line item. And so those folks are gonna have to get really good at participating wholesale really quickly. And so just, helping to educate all these players across sort of the more traditional energy and hydrocarbons value chain that whether they like it or not, they're electricity companies now, and they're going to have to stand up the teams and the capabilities, the data and the tooling mm -hmm. to support that. It's going to be a different world. Yeah, Very different world. Is. Well, all right, you're right, Dan. Let's get to the other stuff here. The other stuff, we do it every time, but it's different every time, which is our, our lightning round. But before we do that, 
amperon.co is your website. And Correct. That's where we go learn more about it. So, Alex, the lightning round is short answers, one word. You don't get to explain yourself. We're going to do it all in two minutes. Don't mess and with us. Yeah. I'm ready. It, it, yeah. And, and so. I might cheat, but let's, let's go for it. Yeah. Let's give it a try. You want to kick it off? <laughs> yes. Josh? Ready? Starbucks coffee or Seattle's best coffee? Starbucks. Taylor Swift or James Taylor? Probably T Swift. <laughs> Will the world hit net zero by 2050? Yes. Cash or crypto? Cash. Barbie or Oppenheimer? Barbie. Ooh. It was pretty funny. <laughs> For the rest, uh, he's. I need he's to watch Oppenheimer. He's he's ahead of me. Yeah, I've I've seen I, either. I, I just either. started streaming last week. I, yeah, but you got to see that in the the theater though. I it's, don't. Come on, he's amazing. Anyway, S and P five hundred for the rest of the year. So the next three months, bullish or bearish? I am reasonably, moderately bullish. Tesla or Rivian? Rivian. Country or top forty? Neither. Yeah, I was oh, Josh knows me well yes. enough. Okay. He wouldn't go anywhere on those. No, no. Okay, and we've adjusted this question. We've been real consistent with asking people, will the Ukraine conflict continue? And I've just shifted now from the end of 23 yeah. to middle of 24. Okay. So will we be, will we still have a war going on there middle Absol of next absolutely. year? 100%. Yes. Okay. That's tough to hear that. I think you're right, though. Uh, work from home or work, excuse me, work from office or work from home? From home. We're up. You can have a hybrid, but we're a distributed company. I can get a lot done working from home. Yeah. Um, I'm going to do the next two. Okay, go ahead, buddy. Yeah. Do you think we're going to have another IRA-type bill in the next three years? I think we got a lot to digest, so no. Okay. All right. And um, the Houston Texans, my near and dear football team, 0-2 right now, uh, will they make the Super Bowl in the next decade? No. <sighs> I will qualify that with, I know so little about NFL and the Texans, so. That's okay. Alex, um, notwithstanding the fact that you had a wrong answer on the last <laughs> question, um, we're really excited to watch the company grow. Really appreciate your, your views on what's coming next. For Amperon, the company's website, www.amperon.co. And thanks so much. We'll have you, you or Sean back on in another year to see where the company's gone. Yeah. Thank you so much. Can't wait. Thanks, guys. See you.